So I want to, uh, uh, I grew up going to church. I always went to church. As a matter of fact, my grandmother was an officer in the Salvation Army, which probably doesn't mean a lot to most of you, but what that means is that she was kind of had a role of pastor in a church. And then uh, that was before I was born. And then later, though, because she had some kind of local notoriety, uh, we attended a a Salvation Army, which was a church. It still is a church and uh, where there would be you gather and worship. But they also spent a lot of time involved in the community and in social justice. Uh, The thing about the Salvation Army Church is that it was a very conservative and is a very conservative church and probably more so when I was growing up. So there were controversies in the church when I was growing up and there were controversies that impacted me personally. I found them to be controversial. Uh, One was that we weren't allowed to play cards on Sunday. Uh, That was a big deal for my grandmother. No playing cards on Sunday. Because it was the Lord's Day, I could hear her voice. It's the Lord's Day, Ricky. I was Ricky back then. And we do not do that because playing cards Monday through Saturday evidently wasn't evil. But on Sundays, it was evil because you did not do those kinds of things. There was another one that had greater impact on my life. And I, again, found a controversial. Is that on Sundays, you did not go to the movies. And I understood that to be that you couldn't have fun on Sundays. But my grandmother again said, Ricky, that's because it's the Lord's Day and you need to spend time worshiping God. I didn't know what that meant as a child. I just knew that we sat around the house, didn't play cards, didn't go to the movies, didn't watch TV, and we waited. Basically, after lunch, you waited until you went back to church in the evening. That was kind of our day. Um, Very controversial, at least to me. Right. Uh, Then in the late 80s and 90s, I was still part of the church. And at this point, I decided I wanted to be a youth pastor and felt that God was leading me into ministry. And I I didn't want to be. As a matter of fact, I told my grandmother once uh, when she found out I was going to go into ministry, she was excited and thought it might be the Salvation Army. And I said, Granny, if no one is going to call me an officer, uh, I am not doing it that way. I'm doing it entirely different. And that was a big step. Uh, my grandma was a tough woman. She would throw shoes at you to get your attention. I mean, she was that kind of lady, right? Yeah, she didn't mess with granny. Um, and uh, anyway, she was known by she was known by granny around the neighborhood. Like that's how serious she was as granny, right? Everybody called her granny. But so in the late 80s and 90s, I became a youth pastor, and I noticed that in some churches, there were some other controversial issues, things that came up where people were in disagreement. Uh, One of them was, it was assumed that the King James Version of the Bible was the only version of the Bible. And here comes the youth pastor showing up with this brand new NIV thing. That was a big deal. Uh, There was also controversies growing up about, can men have earrings? Or can there be tattoos on anyone? There was also a real big one in my day. Hymnals versus modern music. Yeah, that's a big deal. And then in some churches, which some churches, these are still big deals. And in some churches, there was even the discussion about, it's October, so what was the discussion about? Halloween, right, 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 Halloween, huh? Big deals, right? 
these were big deals. If my grandmother were alive and she were to come to church, she'd be close to 100 now. She'd throw a shoe at me. <laughs> if she saw the things that we're doing, <laughs> huh? The church historically has had some controversial uh, disagreements with greater implications than trick-or-treat, right? I mean, hundred, hundreds of years, years ago, people used the Bible to support slavery, while others in the church opposed and worked to end slavery, and there was schisms, church divisions over that. Divorce and the ordination of women are still issues for some churches, while are non-issues for many churches, including our own. And human sexuality today. For many churches, this is the issue of the day. Even our United Methodist Church is unable to come to an agreement in the church's response to our brothers and sisters who are in the LGBTQ community. I believe these are challenging times because belief systems and cultural change and the transition through change is difficult and turbulent. It's hard to get through these things. So we decided to do a series called Getting Along. And so we're looking at principles that we believe can help a healthy community achieve a community or maintain community through conflict and even change. And so we've looked at things like uh, unity, that we say that unity is Jesus' greatest desire for a community of faith, that we need to not be in agreement all the time, but we need to be patient and humbly love each other as we work to deal with conflict. We talked about culture a few weeks ago, that culture is always changing, sometimes quickly and other times through decades of slow transition. And we watch the culture as the church so that we can lead through cultural change. And then last week we talked about that the Bible has truth for us and it, the challenges for us to understand that it is real and it communicates truth to us. So, Bill, shameless plug for me. On Tuesday this week, I'm beginning a small group. It meets right here in this space. Uh, one of these quadrants, I'm not sure which one, but uh, the walls will be up and you'll find signs out front and you can join us at 7.30 right here on Tuesday evenings. I think it's for the next six weeks. Matt Boynton and I are leading this together. We're using the book, or the, the DVD series, Irresistible by and Lee, Andy Stanley, beginning at 7.30, and we're done promptly at 8.45, so that you can get home by 9. Love for you to join us. How is that? Good? Okay. Uh, we live in a polarized world, don't we? I've talked about this often, more and more polarized, and as I read the news and watch the news, it seems like it continues to become more and more polarized. If someone looks different than me or someone speaks different than me, there's an assumed mistrust, right? If someone thinks differently than me, then it must be that they're against me. That now in today's world, you're either conservative or liberal. You're either Republican or Democrat. You're traditional or progressive. You're gay or you're straight. You, uh, black lives matter. Blue lives matter. All lives matter. There's these extremes, and, and everyone has, seems to have to choose a side. The distance from the middle is broadening. 
and our world is changing, and in many ways it's already changed. And it's filled with anger and animosity and fear, and, and those things have all become political strategies used to inflame and excite and encourage a base of people. It's an extremely tense time, a time filled with disbelief and doubt and uncertainty. As a matter of fact, I was a, a friend of mine who does not attend here, doesn't live in another state. It's a Facebook friend. You know what I mean by that? It actually was one of my kids' teachers, really not a friend of mine, an acquaintance, probably wouldn't, so it's a Facebook acquaintance even, okay? But we're friends on Facebook, and I noted something that this person put up on their Facebook wall, and so it came to my attention. It was about climate change, and he doesn't believe in climate change. And there were dozens and dozens and dozens of comments and debate about all these things. And I'm like, really? We're going to debate this on Facebook? Disbelief, doubt, and uncertainty. I was at a conference in August, and here's, the, here's where it gets more positive. I was at a conference in August, and the presenter said, uh, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago as well, it's the best time for the church in 500 years. That this currently is the best time for the church in 500 years. And it, and I, it piqued my interest. I'm like, what is so good about this time right now for the church? And she said, when it's darkest, candles shine brighter. And the church needs to continue to change to meet the cultural realities of today. And then she began to talk about spiritual entrepreneurship and that churches that are thriving are finding new ways to do things. They're watching the culture and finding new ways to do things. So she talked about things like multi-campus. And she said, there are churches that are crazy enough to leave their current home and start another church in another town. And try something new. And I was like, yeah, I know people like that. That there are opportunities for new expressions in our world that would not have been necessary or even be practiced if it weren't for our current circumstances. And so we have this opportunity to demonstrate how the church can live together in times when people are just having difficulty being next to each other or being friends on Facebook. So belief systems and culture change and the transition to that change can be difficult and turbulent. This has always been true. As a matter of fact, centuries ago, there were uh, uh, belief systems changing Jesus was causing those changes to these belief systems. He was coming to the forefront of his ministry, and he was teaching a different way to live, teaching a new way to live, teaching a new belief system, and bringing cultural change. And guess what? It caused some controversy. So it's not on the screen. I want to read to you some verses, though. Jesus is talking. He's talking to the religious leaders and he's talking to the rabbis and he says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? And then he calls them hypocrites. 
So this isn't like one of those like um, encouraging moments for Jesus, okay? He's about to body slam some people. He says, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. So these folks were so careful about tithing and giving to God that they would not only separate a tenth of their harvest, they took that literally, and so they were separating a tenth of their parsley. And they were tithing their spices and tithing their herb gardens. He says, you take time to do that. And then he says, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. So you're real good at this, but you're ignoring this. And so whenever you see Jesus saying you're ignoring the most important, those are times I circle things in my Bible. Because if Jesus says it's important, then I want to know what that is. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law. And then he says justice, mercy, and faith. And then he says to them, you should tithe, so fine, keep separating out your parsley and your oregano, and that's good. But do not neglect the more important things. Then if that weren't aggressive enough, then he says, blind guides, like, calls them blind. You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat. See, because that would be an unclean animal. You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Do not neglect the more important things. So in this time that we're currently in, I thought, what is it that's most important to us? What would be the things that we would say, this is who we are as a community of faith? And then I personalized it and decided, what is it that I would say is most important? What is most important to me concerning faith? And so I started writing some things down, and then my list was getting long, and I said, no, I need to distill it even less than that. And I said, all right, so what is it? And I came up with uh, five. I'm going to say these are five things that I would say Rick Court Ricky, good old Ricky, would say are most important to faith. Uh, The first one is that Jesus Christ has a unique and divine claim on who I am and how I live my life. I believe that that would be true. That is most important to me. When I was 16 years old, I was at a summer camp, and I heard the pastor up front sharing a message, and he talked about Jesus, and he said, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought about God in the past, you can be forgiven, and you can have a relationship with Jesus, and I remember my heart just like beating out of my chest, and I was, and I, I was arguing with myself because he was saying you should come forward and pray and I was thinking no this is just emotion I'm going to ignore it I've been going to church all my life I don't need that I've already done that I thought and I figured it all out and but I went forward and I kneeled down and my life was changed all because of a decision I made when I was 16 so I believe Jesus has a unique and divine claim on who I am and how I live my life Part of that, second part of that, is I am forgiven and I have a relationship with Jesus because of the death, 
of his death and resurrection. So the second part for me that's most important is I believe that Jesus really lived, that Jesus really died on a cross, and that his death on the cross provided me forgiveness and provides each of us forgiveness. And that he rose again and his conquering of death says that I can celebrate and enjoy a resurrected life as well. I find that to be most important. I believe the Bible reveals God's relationship with me and it reveals the hopes for humanity. I believe that community via the church is an essential discipline of the body of Christ. I used to not always think that. I realized that's my newest, most important. I used to, um, uh, at least I thought I didn't believe that. When I was a youth pastor, I was going, you just heard some of my stories about the traditional churches I was a part of. Uh, I had decided that I wasn't going to be a part of that, right? I, gr- I, I remember, <laughs> this is just us, right? Uh, I remember uh, sharing with someone when they, I said I was going to be a pastor, they assumed I was going to become a pastor, like and my understanding of pastors was my grandmother church where they wore uh, uniforms, right? And they were, they were called officers. Or the church that I was going in as a teenager where it was a United Methodist church, very traditional, and the pastor wore a robe. And I remember saying, nah, I'm out. I'm not wearing a robe. I remember arguing, saying, I'm not going to wear a robe. I'm not going to sing in a choir. And I'm not going to hang out with old people. That was kind of my understanding of pastoral ministry. Jim, Jim, I promise. This was, this was the old Rick. But then I discovered that it wasn't the church I didn't like. It was that I didn't like the way the church was being portrayed. And so here I am, a pastor in a flannel shirt. And I haven't had to sing in a choir yet. And I, I do like hanging out with old people. I golf with Jim once in a while. And the rest of you aren't that young. <laughs> oh. And then the, the final, final piece of what's most important to me is that our faith compels us to act in the world. That I can't hold on to this myself. That I have to share it with other people. And that the best way for me to share that is by serving in a world that is desperate to know of that kind of love from God. So another way for me to say that, so that, so that was five, and I said, that's, that's, that's a lot. Another way that I've said it is love God and love people. Another way to say it, as Jesus said it, is justice, mercy, and faith. Another thing that would describe what's most important is from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, which is my favorite Bible verse. Do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. That's pretty good right there. John Wesley, who I believe was quoting Micah 6, 8, said of the three things, he said, do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. Notice in all of this, I didn't talk about earrings, tattoos, Halloween, or playing cards on Sunday. And what I've discovered is that the message 
never changes. Those things that are most important never change. But the presentation of the message does. And so decades ago, while I made fun of it a few minutes ago, the pastors wore robes and the congregation dressed in suits and we sat in wooden pews. Today, the pastor wears a flannel shirt and the congregation is dressed more casually in their eagle wear and sitting on cushion chairs, which we love, don't we? Yes. That's all the folks who were at Harrington. Good for you, good for you, good for you. So while the message never changes, the presentation of the message does. You know, it's another trend currently. So it was multi-campus, right? So we're on the, the cutting edge of that. But know what else is now? Internet campuses. And so while in the past the pastor wore a robe and now the pastor wears a flannel shirt, an online campus, the pastor wears a keyboard. And the congregation is in their pajamas, potentially sitting in their homes. Set up is a lot easier. <laughs> so there's a, uh, a quote that, that has been around for uh, centuries. It's, uh, it's going to go up on the screen in a second, right? Yes. In essentials, unity in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. And it's a quote that was made famous by St. Augustine, and it's also a quote that many uh, attribute to John Wesley. But the original, at least as far back as we can tell, the original person to have made that statement was a guy named Rupertus Meldenetius. And that's as close as I'm going to get. A German pastor. A German pastor in the 1600s. Now, in the 1600s, at the time that he was alive, there, uh, the phrase was written down on a piece of, uh, about Christian unity. And it was written during the Thirty Years' War. The Thirty Years' War was a war that lasted for guess how long? Yeah, 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 pretty good, huh? Uh, not a trick question. And it was a war fought by churches for 30 years. And he said... In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In the midst of our current culture wars, the questions for me are, what is most important to my faith? What is not important? And can I love someone who has a different list than me? So Paul, in his letter to Christians in the midst of one of these belief difference, differences that I was talking about, remember I said Jesus was uh, talking to the Pharisees and the uh, teachers of religious law, and he was, he was really coming down hard on them, calling them hypocrites for believing one thing but not practicing their faith in a sense. Uh, this was a constant battle and, uh, because the Jewish, uh, at, at, uh, after, after Christ's resurrection, uh, that when churches began to sprout up and Paul was responsible for many of these churches growing, there were Jewish Christians who were living in these churches and they followed Old Testament laws about the food, these centuries-old traditions. They followed them while the Gentile Christians did not follow them. So within the same community of faith, you would have Jew Jews who were, who were living their faith 
as Christ followers, but also following Old Testament law. And there were Gentiles who had no understanding of Old Testament law because they weren't Jewish. And, but together, they were in this faith, these faith communities. So there were laws like about what kind of types of food people who were following Old Testament law could eat. So some food was clean, some food was unclean. You know, so that was the gnats and the camels that Jesus was commenting on. There were also certain days or holy days. And so do you worship on a certain day of the week or not that day of the week? And so in the midst of these churches, imagine what it would be like to have a potluck dinner. Gentiles might bring food that would, the Jews wouldn't feel comfortable eating. And so Paul was writing to this church in Romans who was experiencing this sort of dilemma. How do we be united together? How do we work together when some of us are worried about food restrictions and others are not? Some of us are arguing for one day of the week for worship while others are not. And he says this, it's up on the screen. For the kingdom of God, oh, we got to stop there for a second. Now, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God over a hundred times, right? You've heard me say that before. Paul rarely does. So for me, this is a big deal, all right? The kingdom of God. And what have we said? The ki- what have I said the kingdom of God? Another way to say that would be God's dream. God's dream. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're praying God, will your dream for the world come true? Would your dream for me come true? So Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. It's not the non-essentials, he says. But of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That word goodness is probably better translated righteousness. about right living with people, putting others first, putting ourselves last. The kingdom of God is about living a life of righteousness with others. It's about being at peace, Paul says. Not simply the absence of trouble, but again, about right relationship between individuals. You know what I noticed? Paul spends a lot of time writing to churches about the unity they don't have. A lot of his letters are about, hey, you guys are doing this, but you got to stop. I think he understood how important unity was to Jesus. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but it's of living a life of righteousness and peace and joy. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up.
So it's the best time for the church in 500 years. And I think we, as a community of faith, and as individuals within that community of faith, need to be answering the questions, what is most important to my faith? What's essential? What is not important? And can I love someone who has a different list? Can I love someone who has a different list? So, I, again, we prepare these messages and plan these ideas weeks and months ahead of time. And, and, then, and then the week or two before, you begin looking at, I begin looking at the message that's coming up. And as that was happening, there are always, it, it, it happens often that there are things that are occurring in our world. And there are moments where I go, that just became the message. And this week was one of those things. And we're going to try and see if a video clip will play. But this week, uh, Amber Geiger was, uh, uh, was a, a police officer. Who, did it make it up there? Okay. Uh, who, was, um, who was found guilty of murder. She opened the door to the wrong apartment and mistook a gentleman by the name of Botham Jean. She thought he was an intruder, and she shot and killed him while he was sitting on the couch eating ice cream. She was found guilty. And during the sentencing hearing, this is the time, if you've seen any of these uh, um, trials, this is the time when the victims or the victim's family are allowed to say awful things about the person. And I hope you rot in hell, and I hope you die, and horrible, horrible things. And it's cathartic, people feel, to be able to, express that this young man Brant is the younger brother of Botham and during the sentencing during the time when you're supposed to say or it's believe you're supposed to say those things he said something entirely different and so if we have two minutes here we're going to see if that works I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do and the best would be give your life to Christ I'm not gonna say anything else I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do again I love you as a person, 
I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. So they hugged for over a minute. There's been a lot of response to this. You've probably seen it on the news. People who said that he's too young to have that kind of response. Mom said, I'm not there yet. I would suggest that he has discovered what's essential. And he's figuring out what's not essential. He believes that forgiveness is possible. He believes that Jesus is the way to forgiveness. In this most heated moment, when the world was watching, and I read this morning he didn't know the world was watching, but what was most important to him was on display. He demonstrated to the world that grace and forgiveness is real. And that's easy to talk about on Sunday morning. It's most difficult to do Monday through Saturday. But it's the best time for the church in 500 years. A world that is desperate to see that kind of love. A world that doesn't believe that it's possible for a group of people, as Bill prayed, as diverse as we are, from different backgrounds, different towns, different work environments, that we could be in unity. It's possible through grace, the grace of Jesus, through forgiveness in our lives, through honest conversations, it's through discovering what's most important. Calling, this is what's essential to my faith. And I'm going to love someone who has a different list than me. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? And so there's a God that loves us with all of his heart. He loves us enough that he would Rather leave his throne in heaven than live without us. And that there's a world out there that is desperate to know of that kind of love. A love that can be demonstrated in our lives. Through grace, through forgiveness. Through dealing with conflict and with disagreement in holy and healthy ways. And so as we go through our week, Monday through Saturday, living out the faith we have on Sunday is daunting and powerful and can change the world around us. And my prayer for each of us is that we would do that with confidence in a God that loves us. That we would do it with conviction, believing that the love that we have 
and that we've experienced through Christ can be experienced in other people as well. And that we could be witnesses to world change around us. That we would know what's most essential to our faith. And that we would be able to love those who see differently. And that the world would know about Jesus. Amen. Have a great day.